Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 125,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. You know I am a big fan of audiobooks, and now you know who I trust most with my audiobook purchases. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, you know the name, but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of the Children's Book Podcast can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter WINNER. With each listen, Take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. Even what you were saying before about how six years into this experience, you kind of just trust yourself to be able to have a conversation. I feel like the same has happened for me, even talking about things like, um, I've been an illustrator for a lot longer, but specifically working in picture books, I think it was about at like the five year mark or something that I started to feel like I didn't have to prepare myself. Like I could just come with my own experience and um, the vulnerability of honesty and just have a conversation and that itself is rewarding. So it's kind of interesting. I, I kind of feel like I understand what you're saying about just, um, it's the magic of just connecting itself that makes it valuable, not a specific question or um, like no kind of agenda of this is what we're gonna talk about or um, just kind of existing together is, is sort of what's nice about it. Unsteadiness is a hallmark of childhood. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 529. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Today I'm speaking with Susie Garamani, the author-illustrator of Balance the Birds and Stack the Cats. I love that quote by Susie, that unsteadiness is a hallmark of childhood. Susie's books attempt to engage our youngest readers through simplicity and shapes and eye-catching colors, exploring foundational skills such as balancing, counting, comparing, and predicting. There is so much rich and wonderful language in how Susie describes her approach to art that I want to step back and let this conversation do its work. 
because I am a big, big fan of Susie Garamani. So on that note, please welcome my guest, Susie Garamani, author, illustrator of Balance the Birds and Stack the Cats. Well, my name is Susie Garamani. The H's are throw people off. So um, Garamani is the way that it's pronounced. Um, and my pronouns are she, her. Um, and uh, what was I supposed to do? Introduce myself? Yeah, <laughs> Introduce my work? Tell uh, me a little bit about who you are and, and just for people that don't, who haven't met you yet. For people, this is a, this is a tricky thing. I feel <laughs> artists have a hard time doing this. Authors, maybe it's a bit easier. Um but I am both. I'm an author and illustrator based in San Diego, California. I uh, paint everything that I make. Um, I work in gouache. And um, I've been an illustrator now for 17 years, working in picture books for just about the last six specifically. Um, so I think I, th- I think those are the basics. I have a website at boygirlparty.com. Um I don't know. It's. I feel like if if I had like a printed out bio, it's a lot easier to read from that than it is to be like, who you know, it's very existential. Who am I? What is my? Hold on, I'm scrolling to my website. So listen, Susie. I know you said you've been at this for over 15 years, illustrating children's books, working in children's publishing. Um, I've known your art here and there. But there was something about when Stack the Cats first crossed under my nose that I was like, whoa. <laughs> um, and I think the the book, probably we could say formally, that brought us to talk together tonight is Balance the Birds. But I want to just share out there to, to the ethos for what it's worth that um, I've known your art for a good while. And I'm so impressed with your voice as an artist and with your... Uh, strength in color stories. So I can't wait to learn more about you. But first, I think we probably ought to start at the top and talk about Balance the Birds. You want to share with people a little bit about what this story is for those that haven't encountered it yet? Yeah. um, Well, I I haven't been working in uh, children's publishing for all of that time. I I worked in a lot of different areas, gift and stationery and things like that. So children's publishing is more recent. And Balance the Birds and Stack the Cats together were um, my debut efforts as an author illustrator. Um, The way that I came to write Balance the Birds and, and Stack the Cats both, they're really kind of companions. So I I thought about them in tandem when I was writing them too um, and coming up with the ideas for them. And the idea for me was that I wanted to create books that uh, didn't, that taught simple concepts that children experience every day. I, I feel like unsteadiness is a hallmark of childhood and, uh, and trying to find your footing, um, trying to find balance physically and trying to understand it is an experience that children have every day. I thought of how kids interact specifically with their toys um, and how, how they tend to play with them um, just instinctively. And I thought I could maybe create a book that creates some understanding out of that through observation, uh, but also doesn't feel educational. That's kind of been my point with both books. I mean, uh, of course, educational, informative books are essential, but sometimes kids aren't always drawn to them. Um, 
in, in all their, I wanted something that also felt silly, I guess is, is what I'm trying to say. That didn't feel serious, (laughs) uh, but had, had a serious, useful element to it. So, um, Balance of Birds was a really interesting book to work on because I had this concept, but I also didn't really have a great example of how it had been done. It's something that is more kinetic in experience and not something that is something that is, um, as easy to observe. And I but thought that's what you're doing, I mean, what yeah. you're doing in these books, if I can, if I can out it as one of your readers is that rather than we call it an educational book, I almost wanted to say like a concept book, like what it means to stack things or to count. And in this case, what it means to balance things or have different size, different, you know, mass. Um, but rather than sort of presenting it outright, you're sort of exploring, you're playing with the reader, with the characters. What if we have this many over here and that many over there? And what if I change this element and do that? You're, it's, it's, it's exploring, which is, I think, at the heart of learning, especially for the readers of these books. That's kind of what I was thinking, too, as not kind of, that is what I was thinking, too. And my hope was also that these books would create a way for kids to go out and have meaning in the world in relation to them too, that then they could try balancing things on their own or find some sort of way. I I really enjoy seeing when people uh, create an activity, when readers create an activity around reading the books that sort of relates to the theme, because to me, that's, that's my best hope uh, is that someone will read and encounter my books and that will make them want to go into the world and try something different or think about it differently, even in these simple concepts for very, very young readers. So, um, so that's kind of the world of, of balance. The birds initially came from an adult observation that I made where I saw a, a blue heron, a huge bird perched on an electrical line outside my house. And it was just the funniest, weirdest thing to see just this, you know, this awkwardly, it's not, it's not what the book is about exactly, but to see this, uh, you know, normally elegant bird, birds seem to have so much control over, um, air and elements and to just see it totally um, awkward was hilarious to me. <laughs> so I, I thought of how I could explore that. And and I have uh, finches in my house too. They certainly do awkward things sometimes. Also, I thought it would be kind of fun to create this awkwardness that's very relatable, this wobbliness that's very relatable, especially to very young readers, and explore it as a way to talk about the concept of balance and comparison and um, all the concepts that are in it, and hopefully a way that isn't um, isn't didactic. So did you come at this, you said that they are um, like companion books, and I understand that, but did you did you sell the books together or did you pitch the ideas together? Yes, they were they were pitched together. Um, okay, they were nurtured by uh, the editor that I worked with. Had been honestly, I didn't feel ready to author books yet. I didn't feel that that was my place. I uh, really respect authors, and having worked with so many of them too, having worked as just the illustrator, and I'm saying just the illustrator. It's a big full time job just to be the <laughs> illustrator. But um, you know, I I think that. Uh, illustrators that break into being author illustrator do sort of feel sometimes out of their depths that they feel that uh that the what they have to contribute may not be valuable enough to make the room to make room for themselves um i'm not phrasing that very elegantly see my my confidence as an author is uh shaky but um but it but it really i had this uh 
editor that I had worked with who really wanted me to write. And she, she believed that I had uh, an ability to communicate that I should use. So, um, so she really encouraged me. And I wrote a number of manuscripts and really thought about them. But it was Stack the Cats when I came up with the idea for that one. It's like, it was like the it was like the book wrote itself, you know, as I, oh, and I, I started that. thinking about the idea, it just, I had so many directions and possibilities for it. And I even had other ideas for a series that continues this sort of yeah. observational learning. So, um, so I, yeah, the, the ideas for the books were pitched at the same time, though Stack the Cats was already written and Balance the Birds was one of many concepts that I had for follow-ups. And, um, it was it was really interesting because Bounce the Birds was actually written in such a totally different environment because Stack the Cats was written with um, this just ease of, okay, maybe I will be author-illustrator. Maybe I will give this a <laughs> shot. I have this idea that I'd really love to illustrate. I'd like to see this be a book. And then um, that's, you know, that's the idea, I think, behind every book that uh, an author will write is I'd love to see this be a book. And um but Balance the Birds was one that I was working on as Stack the Cats was already done. So I sort of had these constraints of how do I make it fit with that world more? Because at times it did seem like it wanted to be something like a bedtime book or have a different feeling. But how do I keep up the silliness? How do I um, stay in this colorful world that I've already created here? So I think the I, I'm sure you've talked to plenty of authors and illustrators about uh, working on their second book and what a different experience it is. and um, Certainly that was the case, even though it's a companion to Stack the Cats and was thought of at the same time, it was created in such a different world. Um, it's just a different mental space. So, um, yeah, that sophomore it, release is different, isn't it? It's, it was just, you know, I think Stack the Cats was created in this really, iso you know, in isolation. And it was an idea that I had and felt uh, was resolved before I talked about it with anybody. And Balance the Birds was one that was taking shape while the rest of the world was reacting to what I had already done. So it was, it was really, um, it's, it was really strange, because I kind of wanted to uh, you know, I wanted to exceed expectations on that one or do something that was more valuable and more unique and, hmm. you know, um, kind of creating all these constraints, plus the ones that were already there because Stack the Cats already existed in this uh, certain kind of format. And um, it has a really weird process to the artwork, too. It's color separated like old books are. So um, so it's so that it has a really vibrant aesthetic. So I kind of was trying to mixed together a lot of different ideas and the attention of a publisher who now uh, has worked with me before and, uh, you know, while promoting a book that already is out. And it was just, it, it was just a really interesting experience working on it. And I had to do a lot of balancing <laughs> myself. So um, it was really, it, it's, I feel like when I think about that book, I think about the whole experience of the, of writing and making that book too. So um does that answer your question? I think I answered a lot of un unasked questions. <laughs> your creative potential with a team of story coaches and published professionals helping you achieve your creative goals. Sign up today at storytelleracademy.com. I, it brings up so much more. So I think we ought to jump to, well, first let me say um, this notion of 
working with a palette of words versus, you know, paints doesn't seem like, like, uh, it, it does feel like a completely different thing. So yeah, when you're coming from working with physical tools to make art, and then you're going to working in words, I can fully get that that would feel different. And I'm glad that you were nudged. And I'm glad that this is the voice that came out because it is so playful and it is so fun. And I think that one thing we often get from authors or especially from illustrators when they also author books is that you get a much more clear voice of what that individual has to say mm -hmm. and what they might be like to, to their readers. Like when I read this book, I think of what it must be like, and this is assuming a lot, but what it must be like when you're in front of three or four or five-year-olds, because I have a four-year-old and I know that the way she interacts with these books and wonders about these books and knew that I was going to talk to you tonight. And that was a whole thing too. <laughs> but to know that like, there's a person that has decided to commit time of their life to making this thing for these young readers. Uh, I think that that, that says something, Susie. And when you have words like here, do you mind if I just, I'm going to read to you. Here I go. Ready? Okay. Here, here's how balance the birds for those that haven't encountered it yet. Here's how it starts. Here come the birds. Half on the left side and half on the right. This is how the birds balance. And on that page, you have just singing birds. It is <laughs> harmony personified. But then we have to break that up. And on the next page, uh-oh, off they go. Half the birds remain as a squirrel leaps onto this branch that's always central. Or rather, the the branch itself is is, is balanced with the gutter of the book. And so I think it becomes really easy to see when we picture what a scale looks like. We see the tipping of that of that branch one way or the other uh, away from from the gutter. I, I want to read your entire book to you. And I'm not, that's not what I set up to do. <laughs> you read the book, right? You know what the book is like. <laughs> <laughs> I love hearing it in your voice. Well, thank you. I love reading your book. And I mean that. And I've read it to lots and lots of children. And I am one of those people that not only one, just to give you praise outright, Susie, when I read your book, one, I think immediately of how I can use this with children. And I have done that. I've, I've stacked things and I've balanced things. and We've played with objects in our world um, because you even have this wonderful invitation at the end where you, where you invite us to talk about birds, but I know that it's not birds because you write at the very end, your, your last sentence here is, how will you balance the birds? And you have this great spread of birds just sort of all chilling out at night with their eyes closed or just kind of being in company. But I know that, that that's the invitation, not just about how will we balance the birds, but how how will we? Just how will we dot, dot, dot. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that, that invitation to play. But the other thing I get from both of these books is just that feeling of, oh, what else would Susie do? I wonder if she's thinking about this and about that and about this. <laughs> and that doesn't happen with very many books that I read at all. So that tells me that not only are you are you working under a really great format, but that that your voice is, is spot on for that because it, it causes a reader to be thinking about, I wonder what else is next. I should go Google and see if there's other books announced or planned or whatever. And that's that's a neat thing too. So I I, I guess what I'm hearing um, that I that resonated with me or that I'm sensitive to is that you mentioned about when Stack the Cats came out, 
you were sort of in this vacuum that nobody knew about the book. So nobody was talking about the book. Um, but when you're working on Balance the Birds, they were. They were talking about a book in this series, in this style, in this voice. And um, and you wanted to live up to or you wanted to best the the first book you had. But I feel like this 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 thing that you're doing, not that not that it should be like a cookie cutter, just like keep doing the same thing. But more that I feel like it's a um a tuning fork. Like you found the matching pitch from the one book to the next book. They both seem to be tuned to the the same key. And I hope that if there are I hope there's other books in the works, but I hope if they are, they are able to find um that way to match pitch. Cause you 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 have a really beautiful thing going on with these books. Thank you so much. Um just for thinking about my books and getting them, um, you know, understanding the the thought behind them and and having those experiences around them. It's it's really valuable to hear about that because especially if you are, I think authors, they go into schools more and they um, have more conversations about their books than I probably have had the opportunity to have. Um, and, and you just don't know how people are really interacting with your book. I mean, you can log on and see what, uh, what the latest, like, you know, if, if you're a real, um, glutton for punishment, you can check like Goodreads or something, but it's really not the same as hearing that someone understood what, you know, understood the the tenor of what you were trying to do. Um, and for me too, I, I think it was a challenge for me to find that writing voice because I take my work seriously um, and I take education seriously, but I really wanted to be silly. I, it was very important to me to make something that felt like play. Um, even though it's even though it's a, a reading experience and a learning experience to still make it feel playful and it's very challenging to do even though it's absolutely instinctive for this age group of readers um, it, you know that's that's they're a very natural state for uh, for very little ones but um, how people how 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 we normally communicate to them in print is in a much more serious way. So it was hard to use that limited language um, that still explains these concepts. And, you know, that's, that was always, I felt like I was always revising and trying to find just the right, you know, it's, it's surgical trying to find just the right word that still makes sense to that to like a three-year-old it's it's so so challenging but then still have that energy behind it where it can still feel fun um and that's not to dumb down anything in it it's just to make it still feel like what i wanted it to feel like which is fun so do you, um do you think that and i don't mean to sound completely offensive to people listening that are fans of these particular animals but do you not also think that maybe birds and cats are both kind of a little awkward and wobbly like your readers as well like they're not unlike children <laughs> i think that i will say that i think that there are uh there are more awkward animals out there than oh, a sure. cat and, and bird <laughs> but i happen to be surrounded by those two so um so they were really natural fits for me um when i was coming up with stack the cats especially i feel like you know cats are just these weird blobby i always call my my cat a pointy blob she's she's kind of like a like a furry a jelly bean blob. and and sort of like <laughs> not a shape that i feel like other animals like maybe a seal is a similar shape but she's she oh that's the 
That's one of my finches, if you heard oh, the that. the finches in the back. I hear them making the cricket noise. Yeah, was that the... I don't know if that was the noise that you were hearing earlier. I think but... it was. We were, Yeah, we were saying before recording that I was hearing this, like, chair spring, but it wasn't. It was finches. It was a finch, yes. Nice. <laughs> so <laughs> they're literally, you know, they're, they're physically around me. So they seep into my artwork. And I've noticed that that's happened through the years in other ways. I've done um, a number of paintings for fine art shows and just for my personal work. And I, it's a really strange thing, but I noticed that when I'm alone, when I'm working and I'm alone, um, it will just be, uh, I'll do a painting where there's just one focal point. And when when I'm in conversation or there's other people around me, if I'm working at a cafe or something, suddenly there's like a busy world that I'm illustrating or painting. It's just, it's, it's just a strange thing that is part of my um, instinct, I guess, when I'm working is to include some of my environment and what I'm working on. So cats and birds are definitely wobbly and um, also easily observable <laughs> no matter where people live, but um, True. which is another, you know, it's uh, elephants would be a bit more challenging in that regard or giraffes. But, um, but I, it was important to me to kind of start with my world and, and go beyond that. So um, I don't have a squirrel though. No, no, but we, there are, <laughs> man, there are stories about squirrel. We can get into squirrel history some other time. That was a <laughs> wonderful episode of 99% Invisible too. We were talking about that podcast, but I, um, I want to, I want to get like real nerdy about your art because I am not a person that makes art, but I am certainly one that finds a lot of wonder in really beautiful, provoking art. And, and your art has two really amazing things going on for me and my brain, which is one, you're, I, I mentioned earlier, just that color story, the way that you've paired sort of these olive greens with this like beautiful, rich neon pink and, and these uh, sort of muted blues. There's just a lot of interesting colors speaking to each other in this book, as well as Stack the Cats. And I also want to know about um, the way you said you were color, whatever you call that, though you were like laying down the colors because that thick line that you get is really, it's like a really tasty thick line. You can really see <laughs> um, these wonderful, it, it sort of also makes for, uh, you know, we, we have this, I think many people, I think it's a universal experience when we're trying to draw things that we like, we can trace them and you have these mm. like really wonderful thick lines that make for um, nice smooth tracing so that we can like in a way to me what, what I've always experienced in tracing art is that it feels like I wonder if this is what the artist did too did the artist's pen or brush make these like smooth wavy lines and these bumps here and so when when we make birds like you make birds it sort of feels like are we making art like Susie makes art so I just want to know about about color for you first if that was always something you grew up with if that was a RISD thing if that was a observing your world like where where does color come into your life Susie color is like it is it is my number one reason to sit down and make art I mean I I love it I find nothing more inspirational than just a 
bunch of tubes of paint and um and i have like endless mixing palettes and uh all the other books that i've illustrated and a lot of the other illustrations i've done have been fully rendered you know full color artwork um but when i made these books i was thinking about color differently than i have with some of my other maybe more um quiet or uh nature oriented artwork that that feels a little bit more painterly with this one I wanted it to have that poppy feel like I wanted it to just hit you in the face with color but also not in a scary way <laughs> you know I wanted it to be engaging um and to jump off the shelf with color but also to feel like a world that could uh that could that could exist in a way, you know, like to kind of be be believable enough that you, you can buy into this world where the sky is red and yellow when things aren't balanced. So, um, so the way that I made the artwork, well, okay. I'll back up to your, uh, earlier question about the, the fat lines, the lines. Um, I painted all the line work in this book and all the texture as well, even though it looks very flat in the book. Um, that's the printing process that makes it look very flat. Um, when it's, when it's painted, I painted it in sepia toned gouache and it was on vellum on translucent paper. And, um, I did oh, do a fair cool. amount of, of tracing my own artwork to make sure that the tree felt stable um in its trunk but it bends so that that tree that sort of acts as a scale at the center of the book in the gutter that the trunk feels stable but the branches are kind of what bends so um so I did do a lot of layering artwork over artwork and repainting and repainting and repainting the same things until it felt like it had the right bend to it or the right um the, the right thickness to it um, and even working on the the texture that's within within the tree that's uh, I did line work that was painted it helps a lot more if you can see it but I did line work that's painted and printed in yellow but I also did these broad brush strokes that kind of create a general bark texture and the idea was to just kind of layer these things to give it the feeling of okay even though this is not what a tree looks like this feels like a tree that's kind of what um, what I was going for with this combination of simple lines and simple shapes um for the it's, represent to represent the birds and the tree the it idea feels was, like a tree yeah yeah that's, that's what i was going for and i hope it does um and then also offsetting the tree so that it is the uh, lightest thing on the page is was also sort of the idea it's funny because I, I don't have the book in front of me, so I'm going off memory. I hope I'm not. Uh, it's been a long time <laughs> since I worked on this artwork. It's been years since it takes so long to publish that it's been years since I worked on the artwork. But I can remember the piecing together the process of how to make the artwork for both of these books. And I I really... so. So I do paint traditionally. I have other books that I've painted traditionally um, that that are more uh, full color. And color is something I'm always thinking about in terms of how it can help tell a story and, and also how it makes a reader feel before they have read the words on the page. That's that's something that is always, and not even just in a book context, but it's it's my number one with my artwork too. Um, I just I just love working with color and getting to make those choices. But when it came to this book in particular, I, I wanted it to feel almost like a poster. Um, so I treated it with the same way that I did, um, that I do when I make t-shirts or uh, products, like any kind of silkscreened apparel, which is instead of having um, a grayscale, instead of having, you know, 
paints that I use in different values, I, uh, I decided that I was going to do color separated artwork. So all the artwork on the pages, every flat color that you see, every leaf and everything was painted as a solid black, as in sepia actually, as a solid brown. And then um, I color separated the artwork so that when it's printed, that one print run is that light blue. And then the next print run is that, you know, sunny yellow. And then the next oh, print wow. run is that tomato red. So it's not, it's kind of getting technical, but it's not the CMYK process that an inkjet printer would do or that most books are printed in. I wanted it to have the feeling, first of all, of like a vintage picture book, because this was the process of how those were made. But um, I also wanted the, the brightness of the colors and the way that they work together to feel like part of the storytelling. Susie, when you, when a book is made like that, does that mean this is like very inside baseball or something, but does that mean it has to go to like a different place to be printed? Like a different, like, cause it sounds like it's a different like printing tool, a different it's the process. same. It's the same process. It's offset printing, but the way but that you the... make the artwork is instead of having one image that's reproduced in CMYK, I had four images that were layered on top of each other. They were layered on top of each other. Yeah. So, so it was never one image. Um, it's not like I painted one image and then said, okay, this part's going to print in red and this part's going to print in blue. It's it was uh, one image that was all painted in, I'll, I'll just say black for the ease of conversation, but sure. paint, painted in black and white. And that image was going to be printed where the black areas would be red. And then the next image was painted in black and white and where the black areas of that painting is where it was going to be yellow. And, um, and that then they got wild. sandwiched together. So I, so like literally when you turn in art, you're like literally turning in four, four components for every one spread. Am I saying that right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, cool. Another thing for you to know about me is I love making things very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, they look simple, but they're not simple. But I mean, so. imagine what that means when you get to go in front of children. So I've had a fair number of, of author visit experiences in my day from going to book festivals to having people at our school to all those different things that you're like absorbing information. Right. But to imagine what it might be like to have someone be like, and here are the four pieces that end up making this one thing. I haven't personally experienced art making that way. I mean, I, I have sort of in my brain a picture of what silk screening looks like, which is, you know, a, a, one of those like layered. I get that. I get the values or whatever the words are that you're, you, I get it. But that's just such a cool thing because. I think what we encounter, what m most of us, most of your readers encounter on a day-to-day -day basis is, you know, like an inkjet printer. So the mm -hmm. art just kind of comes out. So cool just to know that like you're, you're a person that at least for these books, it was made this different way. And so you get to share with those readers that it's, it's layering these things on top of one another. Yeah, there there are. I notice a lot when I'm reading picture books that people do make technical decisions that enhance the production of the book itself. Um, you know, that that kind of thing is is done. It's not like it's so unusual. It's just a lot of work to add those little extra things. But for me, when I was making these books in particular, I really thought it was an opportunity to make what appears to be a simple book and appears to be for very young readers and appears to be, you know, all it, it could have been, I could have made this artwork very easily. But I thought that 
if I made it in this more complicated and in a way kind of more, um, I mean, archaic, but what's the word that I'm looking for? Like a, like, um, like it has longevity, you know, this process mm. has, it, it's sort of, you know, there's a universal feeling to seeing artwork that is produced this way, which is that it's not quite ordinary. It, it feels somewhat more like a, like a, silkscreen print or an old timey poster or something like that, even though the artwork isn't old timey, there's something about um, the printing process that kind of makes it feel different. Um, oh gosh, I really wish That's I could cool. think of the, the word that I'm, I'm looking for to describe that. But to me, that was important, an important part of making these books um, to kind of make them feel to, to have a slightly different feeling than uh, a typical counting book or a, you know, a, a basic concept book or something like that to kind of give it something that made it feel visually like something different, like a new experience. Um, yeah. I like that so, you're struggling to find the word because I feel like, oh my word, you're right there with me trying to find the word. It feels classic to me. It feels familiar to me, but it also feels just interesting, interesting to look at because my brain is trying to figure it out. And I know that it's not just the compositions that my brain is trying to work out, that there's something about the way you're presenting the art. There's something about the way the art just feels together. So I, I, I love that you chose this approach for these books. And I love that they turned out this way. And it sounds like you also really value that you were able to make these books this way and have them turn out the way they did. I do. I feel that my publisher Abrams was really, um, I had to convince them a little bit at first because they were like, do you know what you're, do you know what you're getting into here? <laughs> and I, I remember when I was working on Stack the Cats, they actually asked me to traditionally paint a spread of the book in my normal way, the best that I could imagine it being. And um, I had to go through that process with the artwork to convince them that this was going to be the best way to make this book. Because um, I felt very strongly that it should have this this feeling. But I think because this isn't usually how books are made these days, I think that they were understandably resistant. And um, there is just something different about the painted, you know, a uh, fully painted artwork it feels quieter. It just does. It's and, and part of it too is my color choices. I think too, um, when I'm painting, they tend to go a little pastel at times and really, um, I think a ton about color, but it wouldn't be possible to do the same type of color work. Um, when you're seeing the texture as well, that sort of slows down your eye in a way. Yep. So, um, so I thought, you know, we went back and forth on it a lot with Stack the Cats, uh, just the, the actual production. And this is such a technical conversation to be having about the art making. But um, but it's so important because this is a decision that, you know, I think there are some some illustrators who have their default way of working. And I certainly do, too, when it comes to certain types of projects. But this did feel like an opportunity to try something new. I think because I was the author and the illustrator, I could sort of marry my concept as I was working on it. I kind of was picturing it from the start as having this aesthetic. 
And then when it came to working on Balance the Birds, I really, I second guessed myself. I thought, is this the best um, technique? Is this the best world? And I, and without my publisher asking, my publisher wanted me to, you know, go full steam ahead with the style that I had already established, this um, printing process that I had already established. But I went and painted a spread of Balance the Birds thinking, no, no, maybe this time it should be this kind of book. And they came back to me and said, no, no, what are you doing? No, no, you're going to have to stick with the world, you know, stick with the stick with this way of doing things. But um, it's, it, it was really interesting to, um, to move through other possibilities before committing to this style of working, the color separated way of working, um, because it, it kind of, it, it steadies you for the long road ahead with art making to know that in the end, it's going to look the way that it should look. I mean, it's hard when you're working you know, for months at a time, I was only working on lines and you don't really have the full, there's a lot of surprises once I was piecing them together of colors, not blending the way that I thought they were going to, or, um, shapes overlapping in a way that, um, you know, it's, you, you want the clarity to be there too. And, um, and then even making decisions like, is the sky going to be blue? And no, it's not. You know, like it's it's that kind of thing is is really uh, challenging. And sometimes you do kind of have to pinball your way through it where to mean that you like ricochet off trying an idea that didn't work to go back to the one that you started with or to yeah. try something else after that. Or my, my process is anything but linear. So um, so there was a lot of experimenting to get to this place with this book. But um, but I did at least with Stack the Cats, like I said, that book felt like it's I think it was the most intuitive project I've ever worked on. It it just it came together. I had the idea. I wrote it. It just felt really complete right from the start. That never happens. Um, so, you know, I think I had a really good gut feeling about that specifically. And I've gotten to make a lot of decisions based on that feeling. So um, and I feel really grateful for the team that I worked with that allowed me to make that type of creative decision, because I know I know not all publishing relationships are like that, especially with a debut author. They're um, a publisher's right to feel cautious about the investment they're making in the book's production. So, um, you know, I, I understand it. Um, so I really appreciate that I was able to take some risks with that and, and also to work with a team that I already knew, um, people that I had already uh, I already had a great rapport with who also trusted me um, because that also is not a given necessarily in a publishing relationship. Um, if you haven't worked together, sometimes there is sort of this, um, I can feel it from, it's from both sides. I think sometimes that you're just, you want to, you want, everyone wants to make the best thing that they can make, but you're not sure that the other person's idea is, is the best idea. <laughs> you know? So um, I was really grateful to work with a team on these where I think we were somewhat, you know, once we were all looking at the same things, um, we were kind of aligned in our decision-making and that's, that was lucky too. I, um, have one more thought to share before we go, but I, I think I need to make sure that I ask, are there, as of right now, any any other books in the works in this series? I, I hear you say that after Stack the Cats, you had a number of different ideas and Balance the Birds is just one of those. I wonder if, if you're able to share if you're working on another one of those ideas at this point. Right now, so I got the most wonderful invitation that has sort of uh, shifted my schedule around a bit, but I, um, 
the short answer is no. Um, the, the short answer is I have worked on a lot of things on my own and I have not shared them with other people because I have other really exciting projects on my plate. Um, so that's, that's the quick answer. And the, the longer answer is that I, I think, first of all, I, I think that I need a little bit of space from these books to have, to feel like, it was hard working on a book as the other one had come out. And I think it's valuable to have a little bit of space to shape your ideas. So I've worked on a bunch of manuscripts that, like I said, <laughs> I haven't shared. Also, my publishing team is totally different now. People move yeah. a lot around a lot oh, in the yeah, industry. Yeah, okay. I don't even know who my art director would be there now. I have a new editor at Abrams who is just so lovely. Um, but I, we haven't worked together on a project yet. And um, I got this other, uh, I've, I've had quite a few invitations to just be um, illustrator on some books. And I've kind of jumped at those opportunities because I like new challenges. That's also uh, a way that I work. I'm, I'm a puzzler and um, I like figuring things out. So I'm working with Yosemite on a series of books written. Um, the manuscripts are written by John Muir. Um, so it's very exciting to bring his words. He's someone who's wow. had a huge impact in my life. So, um, and in, you know, in the world. So um, it's, it's a huge honor to bring his words to life. And I kind of pushed, you know, I made room in my life to work on those books because I realized that that's a once in a lifetime opportunity for me to feel so um, connected to a project and really to feel like I, um, I get to try something new with those two. So um, I finished the first book and I'm working on the second one now. Uh, the first one called Little Mirror's Song comes out in August. So, um, and that's published by Yosemite. It's also a really nice opportunity to be um, a bit altruistic with artwork in a different way because it benefits the national park. So I kind of like that it's a different experience kind of all around. And, and I got to go back to traditionally painting too, which is really gratifying in, in its process. And um, I worked on uh, my first character-based picture book uh, that's with Bloomsbury. Um, and it's written by Marcus Ewart. I don't know if I'm actually pronouncing his name correctly, yeah, but he Marcus is Ewart. so funny. He is like the the manuscript made me laugh every single time I read it. It's character based. It uh, brings in an animate object to life um, as the central character. And it's just, it was just a weird challenge. And I really wanted the challenge. So I did nice. that. And He's I'm a friend working... of the show. I like him a lot. Oh, he is fabulous. And I, I really loved working with his writing. It is, it is so funny. And he has, he gives such great voices to his characters. And I had never really done in, in all my years of experience, I had never really created a character. Um, and I really, it was, I really got to with this. I never really created a character thinking of it as a character. And it's sort of strange to say that, but um, I had created a visual language for my world, but never um, sat down and said, okay, the name of this character is this, they do this, this is like a quirk of theirs, you know, all the little things that um, you see children's book illustrators routinely do. I just had never really gone through that. And this is a really challenging character to create too, because it's not... Um, it's not based on a person or an animal. It's, it's something that normally doesn't have a face or a personality in that way. So um, that one is called She Wanted to be Haunted and it comes out next fall and I finished the artwork for that as well. Um, so that's consumed the better part. Working on those two books has consumed the better part of the last year 
um, and and more more than a year. Well, um, good for you to be working on some awesome stuff. That's great. <laughs> and I've got other stuff I'm working on too that I'm really um, I'm working good. on a wonderful book with with Penguin right now too. Um, that I, I can tell you more about another time, but um, it's it's basically all the books that I'm working on present uh, different and new challenges to me, and I like pushing my boundaries. And You're I growing. feel this it makes great. me feel just terrible at, at art all the time, but I feel like it's it's so useful to growth, and I I did want to have a different experience. So I mean. I would love to create more books in this series, and I I think my publisher would like to also. Um, but we kind of it's been kind of unspoken that uh, I'm just taking a bit of a break from it uh, at the moment. I think it was it was a lot for me um, having stacked the cats, and then the board book came out six months later. That was very yeah. quick, and then um, and then Balance the Birds came out just the next you know a year after Stack the Cats came out, and it was it's so much for a debut author. Uh, to, it's just a different world, different space to be in than when you're illustrator too, in terms of what your commitments are and, um, and how you share your work with the world is so different when you're an author than when you're an illustrator. And, um, it's taken me out of my comfort zone in lots of different ways that have been good. And at times also, uh, really help me find my boundaries, you know, help me find my limits. Um, but yeah, I think it's been good for me to shift gears a little bit too, so that I can come back to this with that new perspective instead of, of comparison of how can I top this, which I don't think is a healthy way to create a book, but to, to come to it with, um, with that energy that a reader can experience then too, that just, um, Oh, this would be fun. And I'd like to see this be a book. I'd I'd much rather create a next book because I really, really want it. Not because it's expected. So, um, maybe that's not great. Uh, not a great career or business perspective, but as a human, it tells me, yeah, it's going to be just the right time. And that's, that's when you want to be making things when it's the right time. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel too. And I'm, I'm grateful that I have options too, that I, I can sort of, I don't know, working, it's working with John Muir's writing. It, it was not on my radar as a possibility, you know? So like, you don't even know what worlds are going to open up before you until you're working and suddenly an opportunity arises that you just, you know, you would, you would reshape your whole life just to just to have that happen if you knew that that was an option. And it turns out you didn't even have to. It was coming anyway. So oh, um, what a yeah. great sentiment! Oh my word. Well, <laughs> I would say to to if I can leave you with some words before you leave some words with our our readers, um, that that these two outings of you sharing your words with alongside your art with readers are are beautiful they're exquisite they're so wonderfully done and also i think they're enough even if these two beautiful books are are the only two moments we have of your voice and your um career takes you in a different path that's that's i i think that all of it recognizing on your journey that that each of these steps is enough that where you are is enough and is 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 where you need to be I think is important. So um, I say out of love that I would love another 30 more in the Stack the Cat <laughs> series, but it's just because I delight in them so much and I will continue to delight in them um, and to delight in how uh, your art and your words also are for the reader and for the growing reader at the same time, the 
the soon to be reader, the, the pre reader. And there's just, there's a lot of beautiful, amazing things that I think are perhaps even happening unbeknownst to you that it was just sort of that big magic going on in those books. And I love that. But thank you. I, more thank importantly, you so Susie, I just want to tell you, thank you. You've given so much time to talk to me tonight. Very, very generous. And I have just had, <laughs> I've just been delighting in hearing your process. I feel like I've had such a great opportunity to just be a nerd and learn <laughs> about how your stuff works. I want to be at your next school visit where like you're breaking down how art works for the five-year-olds because <laughs> I want to learn with that same delight. So thank you for, for um, giving me that opportunity to. Thank you so much. Thank you for, for this conversation. It's nice to be able to nerd out with you, especially about the process because, you know, I, I kind of can't talk about, or I haven't really <laughs> talked about that with a very young children I think they would be like what do you mean Sam YK you know they would they would not be <laughs> I don't think that that would be as interesting to them so thank you for giving me space to talk about that uh the, all the thought that I put into that too so um yeah this is awesome thank you so on that note why don't we end with them and I'll say that I will see a library full of children soon Susie is there a message that I can bring to them from you I, so I love this question so much. And I think on any day, I might answer it differently. But I happen to be in a little bit of an introspective moment here. Um, and I think it's, it's just to notice, to notice what you can when you can. I think um, good ideas happen through noticing. I think um, funny things happen through noticing. And um, just just being observational in the world that you're in, just, just looking around in the world that you're in and noticing the things around you and your own thoughts about them is really where creativity comes from. So I love the idea of children who are the best noticers of all to notice when they're noticing. I think, um, I used to think about, uh, there was like a a question that was going around that was like, if you could put anything on a billboard, what would you put on it? And I always thought that the phrase look alive was really nice because you look alive means to be alert. But um, but if you really think about it, it's to actively see too. Uh, like look, look alive. I don't know. I, I think of the different ways <laughs> that it could mean um, something different. So I think just that noticing is such a great way to exist in the world. And kids, I think, have the best ability of anybody. So I would just encourage them to keep noticing and to keep noticing that they're noticing. This is Darshna Kiani, author of How to Wear a Sari, coming in fall 2020. Want to find out the latest South Asian books and children's literature? Check out www.darshanakhiani.com forward slash South Asian Kid Lit. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by Matthew Winner in his library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 400 episodes at matthewcwinner.com forward slash podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? 
Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. Before we leave, I want to give a shout out to all of my patrons, those folks who are supporting the podcast and keeping the lights on care of our Patreon page. Thank you, Jenny, Sue, Amy, Sarah, Kate, Lisa, Darshna, Marianne, Jarrett, Anitra, Mike, Lynn, Link, Karina, Cynthia, Elaine, Doug, Judy, Amanda, Ruth, Laura, Teresa, and others who are coming with me on this journey. You're welcome to come with us too. Just visit patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner and pick the support tier that's right for you. Teamwork makes the dream work, and each of you are helping to provide the tools necessary to make this podcast even greater. Thank you. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.